We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna. Essentially, surgery is going to happen to allow the Bills to find out what exactly is going on in Reggie Ragland's knee. What they know is his ACL is partially torn, and in almost all cases, partially torn ACLs have to be fully reconstructed. So it is treated like a fully torn ACL, which is why Ragland is expected to miss the season. They also believe there is other damage inside that knee. They just aren't sure what because there is so much swelling. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode, edition, A rendition of the Rock Pal Report. I'm Drew Gear, Bill's season ticket holder. That over there is my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Ian Rappaport from NFL Network talking about the latest chapter in Bill's doom and gloom, the knee injury to Bill's linebacker, Reggie Ragland. Now, my friends have known me to be a huge Bama fan and also a rabid Bill's fan. Well, today, both of those entities sounded an awful lot like this. No, wait, wait, let me say something. What? I I don't under I didn't understand a one word you said. Ron, are you okay? Ron. Ron, where are you? I'm in a glass case of emotion. You know, I, oh, I'm sick to my, st- it just, it just kills me. We can't ever have anything nice. We can't have nice things. Nice, new, shiny, we can't ever have it. You know what, Chris, just get us into the Bills News Update. Injuries, injuries, injuries. It's like going to a friggin' taping of Oprah, except instead of an iPod or sparkly Ugg boots as a gift, we're getting a poke in the eye and a kick in the groin. Okay, it started with Shaq Lawson during rookie minicamp. He hurts his shoulder. Okay, outside of that, we seemed relatively healthy, and you know everyone was optimistic that he's going to come back at some point this season. Okay, it's not so bad. We're doing all right. 
On Friday, Reggie Ragland suffered the most serious injury so far of camp with a partial tear of his ACL that's going to require season-ending surgery. This is significantly, regardless of who we've brought in for depth, it's going to significantly impact our plans on defense for the upcoming season. This is what Rex Ryan had to say about it in an interview with BuffaloBills.com. Uh, Reggie Ragland is going to have surgery uh, on, a, on a torn ACL. He's expected to miss the season. But we have some guys, like I said, I feel good about the guys that we have. I think, uh, you know, Zach Brown's been doing a good job. And then the addition of Spikes and Hawthorne, along with Randell Johnson, you know, we have good depth. We have better depth this year than we had last year at that position. So, you know, it's really unfortunate for the young man and for our teams. We know he's a fine player, but um, guys will step up. Now, in that same practice, another one of our linebackers, Kevin Reddick, sprained his MCL. Okay, so so he's out now. That's only significant when we're playing the Jets. <laughs> in speaking of Kyle Smith, later on in the episode, AFC East Bros podcast, Talk Jets. So then came the night of practice on Saturday. Okay, I'm sitting in the bleachers at practice. I got to watch Cordy Glenn's ankle get stuck in the turf, okay, causing him to just go down hard on his back. He, you know, just watching the guy get up and the way he was limping off the field, I'm like, there it is. I've seen that, you know, I've seen that kind of an ankle sprain a thousand times before. He's stuck in the turf and he turned on it. Okay. Now, because of that, he'll be out the remainder of the preseason with a high ankle sprain. They were so short on players during Saturday night's practice that Rex decided to just cancel the scrimmage early without running two-minute or red zone drills. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? And then Monday, Richie Incognito suffers a rib injury, causing him to be removed from practice. Well, cornerback Corey White was held out due to a bruised knee that he sustained on Saturday night and couldn't play through. Neither player has been back to practice since. That's right! We can't have anyone freak out out there, okay? We've got to keep our composure! We've got too far! There's too much to lose. Keep our composure. Guys, I'm not going to lie to you. It has been a hell of a few days. So if you'll all excuse me, I just, I, I got to finish this beer I just opened so that we can keep talking about this. Because I want to. It, it just stings a bit. Well, yeah, we had fun at the scrimmage, but we didn't like watching Cordy Glenn go, go down because we were tweeting about it as it happened. You know, I was watching him walk to the bench, and then he eventually walked off on his own power back to the dressing room. And, you know, now he's been in a boot ever since. So you can guarantee he's out, he's out the entire preseason. We don't need him until the first game against the Ravens in a month. All right. I'm back. I'm ready to get this thing on. All right. So due to this monsoon of injuries that has just cropped up since Friday and bit us in the ass, the Bills had to go get themselves some linebackers. The biggest of these additions was the return of Brandon Spikes to the team. Rex had this to say about the move at camp on Monday. You know, back in the day, three, four linebackers, that's exactly what you look for. So I think he fits what we do. And, you know, we can pair him up with different guys. You you know, the thing about he's more of a true Mike, you know, I think, uh, than he is more... Uh, combination Will and Mike. You know, he's a true Mike. Uh, so that might alter things a little bit. Uh, you know, whoever plays with him alongside him will be a Will. So that, 
you know, we'll lose a little flexibility there, but not, not a whole lot. Now, that was from buffalobills.com. What my takeaway from this signing is that it's a good one for the reasons that we have Zach Brown on the roster. Now, Zach Brown has been lighting it up ever since he took over for Reggie Ragland with the ones in, in training camp. He's been playing very well. And that's, again, why I was high on him coming into the preseason. But the fact remains is that I still think that Reggie Ragland can do a bit more of both. Whereas with Zach Brown and Brandon Spikes, you're going to be doing, you know, you're going to be tit for tat. You've got one guy who's great at the run and one guy who's great at the pass. You know, neither one of them can master both skills, which takes away from our defense overall and makes it somewhat predictable because you don't know, you know, people know they can throw on Brandon Spikes. Okay, they know they can. And so if he's out there, they know that we think they're running, which when you're playing the Patriots, you can't ever tip them your hand because Tom Brady will audible on you and he'll expose whatever weaknesses you show him. Yeah, how many quarterbacks are going to do that, are going to be able to notice Spikes is in the game I need to audible to a pass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we also went out and signed, signed David Hawthorne, former Saints linebacker. Now, he's familiar with Rob Ryan's defense, so he shouldn't have much trouble coming in and trying to at least pr- provide bodies at the position. I mean, he he's had two sacks already. You know, in training camp, he's looked good. These guys stepped in off the, you know, we should be, I guess, consider ourselves lucky at this point. That the, we, there's still street-free agents out there who can step into our training camp and just make plays. Well, I kind of can't believe that Brandon Spikes hadn't been signed. And he's only 28, mm-hmm. and he served his suspension as a free agent last year. His four games. So, But, again, to what you said, he is, like I guess, a one-trick pony because mm-hmm. he can only do the run, and he can't cover he can't cover pass. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, hopefully their level of play can kind of get us through this because it's going to be all hands on deck now to figure out who's going to plug that hole. But as Rex said earlier, we played the clip. I do think that our depth at that position is light years ahead of where we were last year. Last year, we were expecting uh, Ty Powell, not, was it Ty Powell? Tony Stewart? No, no, Kevin no. no. Ty, Powell, Ty Powell was Nigel supposed. Bradham. Ty Powell was supposed to be our premier, our lead backup. He went down in training camp, and so then when he went out, that's what bumped up Tony Stewart into that role. Tony Stewart went down. We put in Kevin Reddick and AJ Tarpley. By the end of the season, those guys were starting. You know, they were starting linebackers on our defense. The fact that you've got UDFA's playing that position now, you've got guys who are proven players in this league providing your depth. You know, so, I, I mean, I don't think it's as bad as it could be, but it's still not anything I'm happy about. But we're going to finish on a positive note. Darius, Kyle Williams, and Sammy Watkins all returned to practice on Monday. And by all accounts, everyone looked good. Everyone looked healthy. Watkins was showing off his explosiveness. You know, he, Tyrod hit him with a, you know in their first set of reps. He hit him for a long touchdown. You know, he's still got that get off, and apparently he's not suffering any ill, you know, there's no hangover lingering around from that surgery. You know, and neither of the D tackles appeared to be slowed or hampered by either one of their injuries. So, you know, it's kind of like a small ray of sunshine in what was really a rough weekend for Bills fans. I mean, hopefully we can maintain the health of our roster going into this weekend's first preseason game against the Colts. So, as Chris and I alluded to earlier in the show, we were at training camp on Saturday. Now, we had a great experience. 
We went out to St. John Fisher to take in the first scrimmage at training camp and meet up with all of the guys from BillsFanatics.com. Um, we got to meet Pierre. We met the founder, Pierre. Um, he's the president, the founder, CEO of Bill's Fanatics. And then afterwards, we went to the Pittsburgh pub right there in uh, Pittsburgh, New York. downtown Pittsburgh, where we met up with Ryan Lacell and Icy Vic of the Bill's Fanatics TV show, which is hosted by the Rock Sports Network. And then David, for those of you who follow Numb Bill's Fan Podcast, we met up with David. And Nate Geary from WGR 550 was there. So we all got some drinks, got some grub. Ryan and Vic put on their live TV show from the bar's patio space and even had an interview with Bill's running back, James Wilder Jr. I really enjoyed meeting him because the first thing I said to him was about Cardale missing him in the flats and red zone in the scrimmage. And he visibly remembered <laughs> that. He said, don't. He goes, y'all, man, you can't bring it's too. He goes, it's too soon don't, to bring that up to me. Don't remind me. <laughs> it's too soon to bring that up Because all he had was a linebacker to shake, and he was in the Not end even zone. a linebacker to shake. He could have walked over that guy. I think, for those of you who don't know, James Wilder Jr. is six foot three and 230 pounds playing running back, and he has 3% body fat. He's huge. Everyone kept asking, is James Wilder Jr. here yet? Is James Wilder Jr. here yet? And then you look to your right, and here's this guy. And he's got his daughter. He's got his daughter in his arms, and he's carrying her, and he's just, like, parting the Red Sea. You're like, oh, that's a football player. That's that's not a normal human being. That is, that, that's a football player right there. Great guy. They had a solid interview. If you guys want to check any of that, you know, any of the videos out, I know Ryan and Icy, got, Icy Vic got a lot of sideline footage because they have press credentials. They're down there in the field. Check it all out at BillsFanaticsBF.com, or uh, there's a lot more of it on the Facebook page. You know, just look for Bill's Fanatics BF on Facebook. You'll find it. There's a ton of great content out there. Or you can just go to rocksportsnetwork.com and then you can find the Bill's Fanatics TV show that Ryan and Icy do. Absolutely. Now, we sent out a lot of tweets during the scrimmage. You know, for those of you who follow us on Twitter at Rockpile Report, you know, we were kind of riffing on some different things. And I took notes on the things that stood out most to me from what I saw. And these, what I'm going to give you right now is my own personal recap of Saturday's scrimmage. I know it's been a couple days. Maybe some of the stuff isn't fresh to you guys, but I want you to see what I saw. Now, quarterback, Tyrod Taylor. Out of the nine offensive drives that I saw during the scrimmage, he only he, Tyrod led only one touchdown pet drive, but it was one of the only two touchdown drives that happened. Looked like he had good timing with his wide receivers. The only bad pass I saw was one that he didn't get. He tried to throw the ball and he didn't get any air under it. And Jerry Hughes right in the back of the helmet. Jerry Hughes was turned around trying to cover, like trying to cover the running back out into the flat, and the ball just hits him right in the back of the helmet. Yeah, it was just like a wheel route, and then Jerry Hughes was in coverage and started chasing, <laughs> and it hit him like right in the back. I mean, we didn't have a bad day, and he looked accurate. I don't know. I just, I guess, I wanted to see him push it downfield a little bit more. EJ now. This is what the papers won't tell you. It's this kind of stuff. This practice, that night game, was a snapshot or kind of like, I guess, a summation of EJ's whole career. In warm-ups, his throws were accurate, right? You're talking about warm-ups. But when the bullets started flying... Nobody's moving. Yeah, when the bullets started flying and the scrimmage became real, he was was Jekyll and Hyde. One play, he has no clue where the pressure's coming from off the right tackle and doesn't step up in the pocket. So here comes Bryson Albright around the corner now. For those of you who don't know him, you shouldn't. He's an undrafted free agent outside linebacker. But he comes around that corner, and because EJ doesn't know the pressure's coming, he doesn't step up in the pocket. 
He's got his hand cocked back looking for a pass. All that defensive end had to do was just put his hand out. He would strip the ball right away from him. EJ had no clue that guy was coming. But then, on like two plays later, he throws this awesome touchdown pass right down the left sideline to Marquise Goodwin. It was like a 36-yarder. It was crazy. So, And then, very next possession, he gets sacked for holding the ball too long and then gets flagged for delay of game immediately afterwards. It's like he, he shows you a flash of something fantastic and then just poops all over it. It's, it's been his whole career. But, but I think the highlight of E.J. Manuel at the Saturday Night Scrimmage. There's a guy behind me. I didn't get to see his face because I didn't want to turn around to make it obvious that I was laughing at him. There's a guy behind me, probably sitting about two rows up. Dude, and- I cannot tell you how many times. And for those of you out there, when Drew, because I do all the production stuff here. When Drew texts me, there was a clip in one of our first podcasts where Drew had said the phrase, someone explain this to me, and he sounded like Alf for the 80s babies out there that know what Alf is from his own TV show and not a 10-10-220 commercial. I cut that out because that immediately grabbed my attention when I listened to that podcast back. I heard Drew say, someone explain this to me, sounded like Alf. That's Drew's text tone in my phone. So it doesn't help when... Me and Drew are sitting next to each other in the stands, and Drew's texting me about somebody saying something stupid, and it's him going off on my phone. This fan was the biggest idiot. Okay, so I've this ever is. Heard. I, I want to reiterate the quote. I wrote it down. That's how dumb it was. I wrote it. It's almost like in uh, Anchorman when he's like, "Oh, you had a really." That's <laughs> the funniest thing I've ever heard. I wrote it down in my journal. Oh, Veronica had a very funny joke today. This is what this guy had to say. After EJ threw that touchdown pass to Marquise Goodwin, he came back and said, quote, I'm quoting here, EJ Manuel is the truth. I don't know why he's not getting enough love up here in these stands. (laughs) Mark my words, EJ Manuel will be starting for this team by week 10. Uh, A couple episodes, you said week (laughs) 9 due to injury. He said he'd be starting by week 10. I'm going to let that sink in. Then he finished it off with this gem out of nowhere. He says, the Bills better lock up EJ long term. Otherwise, he'll probably sign with some team like Tennessee. And then he'll beat out Mariota for the starting job. With all due respect, and remember, I'm saying with all due respect, that idea ain't worth a velvet painting of a whale and a dolphin getting it on. That might be, I love, I love people who are passionate Bills fans, but that might be one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. I, I, it almost gave me a nosebleed. And I was just furiously texting Chris about it because I couldn't say it to him because the guy's right behind me. But at that point, I almost didn't care. Moving on, Cardale Jones. Okay, now for anyone out there who has any illusions that Cardale Jones was going to step in here after we drafted him and just fight for even a backup job on this team. Welcome to Earth. He is nowhere near ready to set foot onto an NFL playing field at at this point in his career. The day started off, he he had a lack of accuracy during pitch and catch. I fell off a camel. He underthrew his intended trainer multiple times just playing pitch and catch during warm-ups. The guy's got a ton of arm strength. You know, you watch him, and it looks like he's effortlessly throwing the ball 50 yards. 
He's just flicking it and it's coming out of his hand and it's just going to. But if you can't hit a trainer who's standing there waiting for your pass, completely uncovered with no one interfering with him, how do you, how do you expect to compete at an NFL level? Well, this, this isn't a Kevin Cobb sitch here, all right? Tyrod's healthy and EJ's ahead of him, even though that's not saying much. But Cardale is definitely third in line, and it's going to take a year or two or never to be a starter. Well, I'll tell you what. Here's what I saw. When the practice started, Cardale was up and down. I mean, one play, he fakes a toss on a QB option play and got the defensive tackle. Justin Zimmer, we're going to talk about this play later, to bite on the play, and then he ran for a big gain. And you see, I mean, he's so big. That was one thing I I tweeted out the photo. He looks like a giant standing next to EJ and Tyrod. I mean, neither one of them are big guys, but he just looks huge when he's out there. Don't stand on the tracks when the train's coming. So to see him him taking off, you know, I, I imagine in a real game, linebackers would probably, and safeties probably wouldn't be is gung-ho about trying to bring down a guy his size as he's making his way to the second level because he's going to lower his shoulder. He's not going to shy away from contact. I mean, I could see, and he had good foot speed in that limited amount of space considering how big he is. But then he he finally makes his way down the red zone. You know, there was a drive. He kind of started working him down the field. He gets to the red zone. His accuracy and inability to read the field just reared its head and bit him right in the ass. One play, as we talked about earlier, he had James Wilder Jr. wide open on a check down. Now, he could have walked in untouched. He didn't even have to shake the linebacker. He could have just walked in untouched for a touchdown. You know, little flare route out into the flat. Instead, Jones locked in on Jared Boykin. I saw it. He was staring him down from the snap, and just when he realized he was double covered, he panicked. He got happy feet in the pocket. He pump faked like five different times. And then finally just fired the ball into the end zone. You know, just fired it towards, uh, what's his face? Oh, the tight end. Nick O'Leary? No, not Nick Blake Annan. Blake Annan. Just completely overshot him. Like, it wasn't catchable. It wasn't anywhere close. And then he threw another pass that just wasn't to anyone. It was just out of the back of the end zone, at least a good two feet higher than anybody else could expect to catch it. Yeah, it's... It's crazy. So he overthrows the next two. Then they have to settle for a field goal. You, he would have been better off just running it in from, you know, seven yards out. Don't throw the ball there. Not with that lack of accuracy. I think that he needs a lot of work. I was shocked by how poor his accuracy was. I mean, they, they, there's been a lot of funny stories about it, but when you see it with your own two eyes, it just blows your mind. Now, Getting into the running backs, going into this season, a lot of onus was put on the need for better quarterback play if the Bills are going to succeed and make the playoffs. So for all of you out there who think that that means the Bills are going to give Tyrod Taylor this season the green light to just turn into a gunslinger out there on Sundays, I hate to burst your bubble, but this is what Greg Roman had to say about our offense. Yeah, it's quite possible. Week to week, hopefully, you know, it could be a a variable that we, we feel very confident in. You know, everybody's enamored with, the passing game and whatnot. I think we, you know, if we take those 27 reps and execute those better, we'll be better team as well. I really believe we will execute those 27 plays better. If we want to, we'll feel better about um, maybe throwing it more. We want to. We want to be the ultimate uh, nightmare. You know, we want to be able to run it uh, with numbing repetition. We want to be able to throw it with numbing repetition, and that's our goal. 
we're just going to keep the pedal to the metal and uh, never stop, never blink, never slow down with that goal in mind. Now, to make that make a little more sense, since I guess I didn't intro there properly, Chris Brown asked him about the fact that they only threw it about av- on an average 27 times a game. And, this is- and that was his answer was, listen, 27 times a game is perfect for the offense we're going to run. We want to bury teams. We Somebody, don't want to have hey, to throw it. Hey, remind me how many times the Bills won when Tyrod threw over 30 times last well, year? Well, and the, <laughs> the answer is a goose egg. So Greg Roman's idea of the offense is that we want to not have to. We want to be so efficient with our running game that we don't have to throw it 30 times a game. I don't want to, I don't want to rely on Tyrod throwing the ball. Thirty times a game, no, or well that, more, that, but that's, or more. But that's uh, what makes the running back battle mean so much this year. Exactly. At camp. So this year, this this week, this is what I saw. Shady only had two carries on the day. Okay, he left the bulk of the work to the understudies. He took, you know, he had one run. He caught one pass out of the backfield for decent yardage, and then he came off the field. You know, he got tackled. He landed a little bit awkwardly, and he he popped right up. I was kind of holding my breath when I saw the hit. And then after that, Rex didn't put him back out there for the rest of the practice. Now, just watching and seeing how the rotations went, there's already a pe- – I can see the pecking order starting to form. Yeah, It goes Mike Gillesley, John Williams, well, at least at that point in practice, Boom Heron and James Wilder Jr. And this is what I saw out of all of them. Mike Gillesley, guy had a nice run that he broke into the second level. And he showed some elusiveness once you know once he got to the edge of the defense. But, That's because he got the Merrill Hodge seal of approval. But the thing is, his running up the middle didn't really produce a whole lot, which has been one of the knocks against Gillesley. So seeing that just re- kind of reaffirms my stance on him that he's he's a good player to have, but he reminds me of a CJ Spiller. He's a guy who's useful if you can get him to the edge. If you can't get him to the edge off that guard or tackle, you're not going to have a whole lot of production with him on the field. John Williams, that's the first time I've ever gotten to see the kid. He made a few nice catches out of the backfield. He showed an ability to catch and then turn up field for extra yards. That was nice. You know, he had a few runs between the tackles, and he showed an ability to follow his blockers to the second level and even fight off tackles for extra yards. You know, everything that his tape showed in college, he's still able to do here at the NFL level, which is good. You know, it's good knowing you have a guy like that in the wings. One thing I noticed, though, you know, his understanding of pass protection is not where it needs to be. There was a play where a rusher broke, fee- broke free into the backfield, coming off right tackle, and Williams, John Williams didn't see him at all. Yeah, the defensive player kind of stumbled, and by the time he got, got his wits about him, wasn't able to get at the quarterback. But, you know, EJ had already gotten rid of the ball. But the fact is, is you have to, you know, as an NFL, if you're going to be an NFL player, if you're going to be out there on second down, third down, you know, when you're probably throwing the football, you have to be able to see that. You know? You can't just leave your quarterback hanging. And then later on, again, EJ dropping back to pass. And Williams, he finally recognized the rush, but he recognized it so late that he couldn't slide over and block the block the outside linebacker in time. And in an actual game, that hit would have destroyed EJ because he never would have seen it coming. You know who probably would have said something about that would probably have been... Marquise Goodwin said, hey, kid, you know, why don't you take it easy on your uh, pass-blocking reads? 
Uh, I still need to get back from at EJ for throwing me that ball behind me where I got destroyed two, yeah. two years ago. Well, what I know is he for, for everything that I like about John Williams' game, it scares me that he doesn't understand pressure schemes like that because it only gets more complicated from here. James Wilder Jr., I'll say I'm admittedly I'm a, I'm a fan of the guy. Okay, I think he can bring a lot of positive attributes to this team. I look at him like a more athletic Booby Dixon. Okay, he's a guy who can do a little bit of everything. He can play running back. He can catch out of the backfield. He can play special teams very well. He's a big guy. He's a physical guy. So early on in the session, he had a really nice burst on an inside run. Okay, he, he broke through off guard and center and came right through the middle and just lowered his shoulder and was just shedding tacklers for extra yardage. And now, Aaron Williams had to stop him on the back end or else he was, he was going to go. And I think the next play, he got no blocking. Yeah, the next play, no one blocked, and he just got stonewalled. And then they took him off the field. And so I get it. There's a rotation. They're trying to get, and they just, for whatever reason, they don't think that as highly of him as I do. Now, he had a play where I stated earlier, he was wide open in the flat and could have just walked into the end zone for a touchdown. That's a, that, that's a knock on Cardale more than anything and his lack of being able to read the whole field. All in all, I like what I saw out of James Wilder Jr., he, there was a pass play that he blocked very well. He took the outside linebacker, washed him out of the play as soon as he stepped into the backfield. And there was a play late, earlier last week that he took, Ikean and Polly came off unblocked, and James Wilder Jr. shook him out of his cleats with a pass block. The guy's a monster for the running back position, which could be big on passing, you know, deep passing downs where you're going to, you know, you get a third and long, it'd be nice to have a guy around who you know you can throw out there and just... Nobody's getting your quarterback. You know, I mean, considering how <sighs> it's just frustrating to see him not get as many carries as I think he deserves. But again, I'm a fan. I'm kind of a homer. I'm biased. Although I will say he got more touches than the last running back on our roster. And that's Boom Heron. I didn't see anything special to that guy. The only thing he did that's noteworthy was the fact that he, find, he, got, his, he got like his second carry of the day in the red zone and fumbled the ball. That was it. He's going to get cut. Fumble it away. No need to talk about him. Apparently, no one's been talking about him. So, if if anything else, he's a solid candidate to get cut when we have our first uh, roster cut down day. Then there were some defensive players that really stuck out to me. And this is just my analysis of how they fit in and what I've been seeing. With my own two eyes. Eric Stryker. Phenomenal on Saturday. Last week, Joe Biscali stated in his daily camp reviews that he wasn't sure whether Stryker was offsides all the time or just times his rushes perfectly because of how fast he gets to the quarterback for his sacks. I got to see exactly what he was talking about. They lined up on our side of the field. He's not a big guy. He's, he's actually, I took a picture of it and put it on Twitter. He's one of the smallest guys out there on the field. You easily notice Stryker on that the field. Stryker because he's a small guy. He lines up off right tackle. I think there was they were doing drills, and he was standing behind... Preston Brown, and he went. He was as tall as Preston Brown's shoulders. I mean, when he gets to, when he gets to the line to line up, he looks like a safety in the box. You know, it looks like a bigger safety kind of came down into the box. But there was a there was a video on uh, Twitter. I forget which uh, media member posted, but they were doing one on one battles, and it was Striker against I believe it was Jim Dre, who is our best blocking tight end. And as as soon as the snap went. 
he was behind Dre. Mm-hmm. It was incredible to watch. And that's what he does. That's the one thing I my takeaway from watching Eric Stryker was that he times his rushes extremely well. And he just takes angles that when you combine it with how fast he's coming in and such a short. Because his top end speed isn't that great. But in a short area, his cone drills were all really good. In a short amount of space, he takes such a good angle and he keeps his speed up that the tackles don't get their feet under him enough to really anchor down on the guy. I mean, he had two sacks on the night. One, they, they tried to say it didn't happen, but we both saw it. He clearly oh, yeah. had he had EJ. So he And then on another play, EJ tried this, you know, he saw again Eric Stryker breaking into the breaking into the backfield, not blocked by the tackle. He fakes the pitch to the running back. Now, you're talking about a rookie. You're talking about a rookie NFL linebacker. You, a lot of guys would bite on that. Instead, he stayed with the ball. And afterwards, he even said that. He said, well, they were like, oh, we're surprised you were in an interview. They were saying, you know, we're surprised you didn't bite on that. And he says, no, because I'm watching the ball. Everything I do is about where, where is that ball? I'm going to get it. I'm going to stick with the ball. So he didn't bite on that fake and, you know, ended up getting EJ for a loss. It's that kind of heady play and just seeing the fact that he's a gamer. He's that guy that doesn't jump out at you as a freak athlete, but he is a guy who will show up and make plays. Now, I think he's doing himself a solid as far as maybe finding a place to stick on this roster. My only fear with the guy, few attempts, the tackle caught him with that first punch right off the snap and Stryker was just washed right out of the play. The thing that would scare me about putting Stryker on the field is that you, or having him on the 53 is that you'd have to save him for passing downs. Because if you put him out there in, posi- in situations where it's you know second and short or second and five, teams could just opt to run straight at him, and there's no way he can contain those linemen. He's not going to give you any containment on linemen. So from an outside linebacker perspective, he could be a liability in the run game because of how easily he just gets washed out by these bigger offensive linemen. But I think overall he had a solid night, and I think he's at a solid camp so far. Then there was Justin Zimmer. A lot of people talked about him before camp even started, about how he was you know, he was a dark horse to make the roster, and he was a workout warrior, and the guy looked so great at his pro combine, and he has all these athletic numbers that say he'll probably be a good player. Is I, didn't, this, is I didn't see it. Is this the dude that... I think on Saturday you said, like, uh, like that guy looks slow. Who is he that? He just looks so slow. I looked at Chris, and I go, Chris, who is that guy? Because he, I had to Google it. I'm like, who is that guy? Because he just, on play after play after play, he just looked slow. If the ball got behind him, if he, he wasn't getting penetration, and then if the ball got behind him, he didn't have any speed to, ch- to track it down from behind. He bit so badly on that uh, toss fake by Cardell Jones. And Cardell Jones isn't a blazer. He's not the fastest guy in the world. But he's but built he, like a tank. But he couldn't catch Cardale. Justin Zimmer couldn't run him down after he bit on the fake. He just couldn't recover from it. You know, the fact that you're going against a second team offensive line and you don't even you don't even you know, no one notices you. You don't make any you know any plays that of note. I just think that it's too much he's too much of a project to make the final roster. You know, maybe he can make the practice squad and we continue working with him and see if maybe he turns into something. I just don't see it. Yeah, right right now defensive tackle is where we look the deepest on defense, I think. That is the defensive tackle. And then probably the defensive highlight of the night for me. No, it wasn't a pick, it wasn't anything else. It was Aaron Williams. Okay. The play of the night 
it wasn't that spectacular. James Wilder Jr. broke into the second level. Now, James, as I've pumped it, he is a huge man. He's got a full head of steam. He's coming through the secondary. He's broken. A, he, he's slipped away from a couple tackles, and he's coming. I watched Aaron Williams lower his helmet and just bury, just bury James Wilder Jr. No hesitation. He, he didn't look nervous. He just went. He read and reacted and went in there, and they almost went helmet to helmet. I mean, Wilder Jr. stands six foot three and weighs two hundred and thirty pounds. Three percent body fat. He's got at least thirty pounds on Aaron Williams, at least, and he's an imposing figure. And even then, leverage. he smacked him. They both went down, and after the play, Williams got right back up, slapped Wilder on the back, and his teammates just came running over to him to congratulate him. It's a, you have no idea what it did for my heart to see number twenty three not only looking to be right physically but also mentally to prepare to resume his starting role as a free safety. Takeo Spikes, you you won't remember him. He tore his Achilles once. And I remember watching an interview with him on NFL Network where he discussed the mental recovery time that any serious injury takes because it makes you hesitate. You you don't trust because in your head, you're like that injury. That injury's back there talking to you the whole time saying, hey, this could happen again. Be careful, be careful, be careful. Look you, for that one year from now with Reggie Ragland. You can't, you can't come back from something like that unless you can find a way to get over that hesitation. And right now, it doesn't look like Aaron Williams has any of it. Okay, so that is fantastic. It's good for our defense. It's good for our secondary. It's good for Bills fans. Just to know that this guy seems like he's so far like he's going to be all right. On the offensive side of the ball, Marquise Goodwin had had clearly the best night out of all the wide receivers. I think he's blazing through camp because he's healthy. Oh, well, that's the thing. He's healthy. He's healthier than he's been in a long time, and he is just setting— And he's not in the Olympics. He's winning. He's winning the—as of right now, he's winning the the wide receiver three battle. And— Saturday night did nothing, you know, that, that did everything in the world to boost that. He had three catches. One was a 43-yard touchdown pass. Just burned Mario Butler. Like, Butler wasn't even there. Just torched him. And then, when I was watching the other plays, he didn't get the pass all the time, but he was work. He was working the first string, guys. Okay? Knowing that he's getting away from Gilmore, and he's getting away from Darby, and he's getting open. He just looks incredibly fast, and his route running is a lot crisper than I've seen it in the past. If he can round all that together with being healthy, I see no reason why we can't name him our number three wide receiver. Because his hands have never been a question. It's always just been, do we have a quarterback who can get him the ball, and can he stay healthy enough to come play on game day? And he was great in his rookie year. It seemed like every other game, he had some huge deep ball catch. The next guy I wanted to talk about, again, we're talking about wide receivers, Greg Little. Easily the biggest looking offensive player on the field. Guy is an athletic freak, but that's always been a calling card of his. During warm-ups and everything else, he was breaking very fluidly. He showed really good hands. His catches, I mean, the flash play of the night for him, EJ threw him a pass that was in between two defensive players. You know, old Greg Little playing for the Browns probably would have dropped that ball the second someone bumped him as he was going up for the catch. Instead, he took a solid, like a solid amount of contact from both players while going up to try to get the ball came down with it and got an extra yard and a half before going out of bounds. It was impressive to see. You can tell, like, he. I'm just assuming that he knows that this might be his last stop. So he's laying it all out there, and he's putting on an impressive camp so far. I mean, if he can continue catching the ball like this, I mean, I know Woods is having a great camp. Watkins is back. 
Goodwin is winning the wide receiver three battle, but I don't see a reason why Greg Little can't win a spot on this roster if he keeps playing the way he is. Well, yeah, because Goodwin, you don't trust him with his health. So if you're going to keep Little as your wide receiver four, you know, just assume at some point this this year Goodwin is going to get lit up, and then you have Little just <laughs> well, exactly. to, to slip into the You've three. Got, and, and then there's two other guys I want to talk about. First one, Jared Boykin. Your boy. You were looking forward to this. <laughs> I was looking forward to this forever. I thought, I'm like, oh, Jarrett Boykin. I've been pumping him all offseason. Hey, this is going to be great. He's already had some chemistry with Tyrod. He's an NFL vet. He knows what to expect. But then I went into the session with only one thing on my notebook. Boykin equals Sasquatch. That's largely because I haven't heard his name brought up at all throughout training camp so far. You know, I assumed he'd be super competitive in this wide receiver battle, but... He didn't show up. Late in the scrimmage, he had he showed off his hands. I mean, the guy can catch. You can't knock him for that. Cardell Jones threw him a deep ball, and he brought it in as he was going to the ground. It was a beautiful pass and a, you know an even better catch. It's probably his only good catch of training. But game. that's my point. It's one of the few good plays he's made. I mean, I just don't think at this point he's done enough to get reps with the ones, which means he probably won't be here. And then speaking of another guy who probably won't be here, Nick O'Leary. Nick O'Leary didn't get any looks except for one. Then he went, got lit. They, they went three wide. Lit. They went three wide. He rolls out into this little f- maybe three or four yard dig route. You know, he just goes out, kind of slants in. No one was open. No one was open. EJ throws him the ball. He catches the ball. Gets lit. Just gets hammered from behind by the safety, but then coughs the ball straight up in the air. And it gets picked off. And you can tell Nick O'Leary's pissed with himself as he's walking off the field. He's got his helmet. He's throwing it. And it's just like, well, I get that, man. You're angry. But that was the worst technique at bringing that ball in. Go, hang, go hang out with your grandfather and learn golf. I, he just doesn't look. He hasn't done anything to this point in camp. He didn't look like an NFL tight end. His blocking was poor. Okay, he led to a lot. He led to like two or three pressures on his own during that session. And then to see him just that kind of a boneheaded play. You get the ball. If you get it in the numbers, you bring it in. You corral the ball and you take the hit and you go down. Instead, he takes the hit and he coughs it straight up in the air. During a game, that's the kind of play that costs you games. Should have let the Ravens have him. I'm saying, yeah, exactly. At this point, we could have kept Matthew Mulligan and just let them have Nick O'Leary. Because at this point, I don't see anything special coming out of this guy. All right, everybody, for those of you still here listening after all my rambling and ranting about Bill's training camp, we've got a treat. We have a guy who's going to come in here and help us as part of our AFC East training camp roundup break down the New York Jets training camp thus far. Kyle Smith. No, he's not going to be serviceable. He sucks. AFC East Bros Podcast. He's just like a big doofus. Guys, ladies and gentlemen, we have Kyle Smith on the air. Kyle, how you doing tonight? Doing fine, gentlemen. How you guys doing? Not too bad. No major complaints. But the night isn't over yet. We've been complaining. I find that hard to believe that you guys have no major complaints after one complaining about Reggie. Your boy, Mr. Roll Tide, Reggie Raglan. Oh, uh, just wait till it's hard to believe that you don't have any complaints. Just wait till you just listen to the intro to our podcast. You'll see. 
Oh, I, I, the thing is, I, I chug two or three of these, and I'm okay now. That's the thing. I've, I've had a few beers. I'm well libated. I'm okay now. Exactly. And I'm able to get on with my life, but it, it's rough. It's, it's been a rough, I'd say, five days. Yeah, and plus, Kyle, we want to thank you for your recommendation of Christian Simonelli because we are doing our AFC East training camp roundup, and Christian was a re- recommendation from you, and he killed. He killed, I, I, it. He killed it last. Oh, last he was week. fantastic. He was knowledgeable. He understood everything, and he was. And he had a sense of humor about everything, and I like that. You know, that's what drew me to kind of hang, like hanging out with you. You get it, even when I'm being sort of a jerk about some things. You take it all in stride, and I appreciate that. Uh, anytime, guys. And you guys got to start referencing him by his name, which is Chris with a T-I-A-N. That's <laughs> how he's referred to when he calls in a PFW in progress. That's and awesome. He's a celebrity around there. I mean, listen, this guy is just a fan, a loyal fan who's been listening to that show for 10 years now. And he calls in all the time. And, you know, he's so well loved by the Patriots employees themselves, but also the PFW listeners that they had him on as a guest host. So, to me, it was you know, a no-brainer to recommend him. So we're going to get into this. Now, I, here's the thing that I think our fans see. What we're trying to do is get a breakdown of how Jets training camp has gone so far. Break it down! What better way to break it down than with DX? Oh my We've got God. our own DX here. This guy has a hard on for wrestling, but so Drew see. is playing Triple H, myself playing HBK because I'm good looking, and Kyle playing China with a beard. <laughs> Classy, Chris. Nice. So, so, Kyle, to start things off here for the you know, I just start training camp review for you. First off. Todd Bowles going into his second year as your head coach. Now, you consider that the Jets finished 10 and 6, but missed the playoffs, you know, in large part due to the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> Has Todd Bowles changed his approach at all from last season? Um, well, it seems like he's changing it a little bit. I mean, he seems to, and we don't have the names as of yet, but he's implementing some type of you know, veteran leadership committee, whatever the heck that is. They're not captains per se, but, you know, he doesn't like naming captains just as Rex Ryan doesn't like name official captains, guys mm-hmm. that don the C on their jersey. But he is implementing guys like, you know, probably like a David Harris, probably like a Muhammad Wilkerson, to which they can oversee the locker room and make sure that, you know, everything is all, you know, fine and dandy. And, you know, you, you think back to, you know, an incident like, you know, Geno Smith getting his jaw broken early on in training camp. You know, m- you know might doing something like that avoid conflicts like that? Maybe. But, um, you, know, I, I, you know, with Todd Bowles, in terms of changing his approach, it's going to be hard. Because when I look at the mistakes that Bowles made last year, you know, I cannot, you know, say things yet until the actual games come on. Because when you look at... What were his biggest mistakes last year? Clock management, when to call timeouts, when to throw the challenge flag, when to go fourth down. How many times in that Thursday night Buffalo game did Bowles go for it on fourth down and was oh, unsuccessful? I'll tell you, one of the biggest ones was when they threw into the flat. They, they, he, I don't know how he – and if, if you're the head coach, you got to – and you as a Jets fan have to answer this for me. Does Todd Bowles – I know head coaches, they know what plays are being called. 
Does he have who on the Jets coaching staff has the final say over what play gets run? I will say this. I was actually another Jets podcast last night after I got off my show and we were interviewing a Jets beat reporter. And one of the things that the Jets beat reporter said is Todd Bowles is much more of a hands on coach than Rex Ryan, meaning that he's going to go over and he's going to have conversations with the offensive coordinator and he's going to give him some input. Whereas Rex Ryan, he just says, hey, listen, Greg Roman, you do your thing and I'm going to do my thing with the defense and have a nice day. You know, so I, I, I don't know. Obviously, the head coach can say, you know, go for it. Or he could say, run this. At the end of the day, he could have Gailey, I guess, fired if he wants. He's the head coach. He's I mean, the head man. He's the guy running the operation. I mean, I just so look at I would from- say that he's more involved than Rex Ryan, but is he calling specific plays? I mean, that's really tough to well, say. Well, I'm just wondering, did he okay the pass into the flat on fourth down where you had to get – I mean, they were near the end zone. You know, they were getting close. And I think he thought that they were going to throw into the flat to Brandon Marshall, and Brandon Marshall was going to bully his way into the end zone. And instead, Ron Darby stuck him. And just not, I mean, Ron Darby is much smaller than Brandon Marshall. We can both agree on that. He just stuck him with a tackle. And that ended the drive. And you guys got no points. So in a game that ended up being as close as it was, for you guys to get no points on that drive, it's, it, that's one of those things. Like, who okayed that call? Because if anything, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the idea that if you need a first down, you throw to the sticks. You don't ever, like, that's, that's some uh, Dick Duran, Trent Edwards era nonsense where you throw, oh, I'm going to throw before the sticks and just hope we can get the yards after the catch. You can't ever bank on that. And so that one play in my mind stuck out. And so that's why I asked, who, who has oversight of that? But it sounds like there's kind of some give and take on your end. Now, I guess the the next question is, in the same vein, do you feel that he has a plan in place to try to correct whatever it was that held your team back last season? I mean, you just hit the nail on the head. Turnovers and a lack of execution in critical moments. You know, you're going to go for it on fourth and goal. You better know that you have a play drawn up that's going to get you close to the end zone. Throwing it on a Throwing a screen pass to a wide receiver is not going to get you in the end zone from seven yards out. So what is he? Do you think he's taking any steps to change that, or is he still going to be the guy who accepts that type of play calling? At the end of the day, he definitely okayed the play. He's the guy that said, "Let's go for it on fourth down." In terms of the actual play call, I think that was on Chan Gailey as far as what play we're going to run. Um, but you know, I think those things are very correctable. You know, being smarter. Let's kick a field goal here versus let's go for it here. I mean, I think that's a very correctable thing. You know, whether or not you can coach, whether or not you know X's and O's is a totally different thing. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of his mistakes are small, correctable things. You know, another big mistake that I look at last year, and and this is something. This is why it was particularly appalling to me. Was why did you play Sammy Watkins the way you did in week 17? Why? Yep. I just don't understand it. Giving him all that cushion so he could easily you know, run a, a curl route, get seven yards easily, that yep. dangerous of a player. Because we all know, we knew it when Sammy Watkins was coming out. You get the ball in that guy's hands and he can make amazing things happen. So if you're giving him all that space, look what he's going to do with the, once he gets the ball in his hands. And we saw that. You know, He even bobbled the catch, mm-hmm. that one play, and he's still sprinting down for 30-something yards afterwards. So... You know, he didn't make a lot of bad coaching mistakes like that throughout the year, particularly with his defense, but that came in week 17. So hopefully he's learned from that. 
hopefully play your players to their strengths. Darrell Rivas is a press corner. He's a corner that thrives getting in a guy's face. Don't play him off, man. That's not what he does. Have there any, I guess the last question on Todd Bowles, has there been any meaningful changes to your coaching staff? The biggest one, and you guys will be familiar with this name, is special teams guy Bobby April was fired. The Jets were absolutely putrid on special teams last year. Just got awful. And, you know, we were thinking at the beginning of the preseason, you know, he was barking it up. And, you know, uh, some Jets fans that I know that went and attended practices, they're like, yo, Bobby April's the man. But there's a reason why Bobby April's been fired in his most recent coaching gigs. Everywhere he goes, he gets fired now. It's because he sucks. He's washed up. He might have been good at a particular point in time. But now, interestingly enough, the guys hired the, the Jets hired the special teams coordinator from the Colts, who is most famous for that stupid <laughs> yeah, play against punt, the, whatever you want to call Griff that thing Whal- when they played the Patriots on Sunday night football. You mean the Griff Whalen fake punt that he didn't know not to snap? <laughs> That's the play. Oh, yes. Jesus. I'll tell you, that play, just hearing how it all developed, apparently Griff Whalen missed missed practice that day with a foot injury, but they still wanted him in the game. So they held him out of practice. Well, at that practice, they installed an audible back into the kicking formation, and he didn't know it, so he didn't call it. He just snapped the ball. And who do we have? <laughs> who do we have? Why do you put a guy in that position? Who was on our team that was involved with that? No, no, no. I'm saying the former the, – the Jets special teams coordinator last year was Bobby April. And Bobby April used to be with the Bills. Yep. And I believe that his son might be with the Bills coaching Bobby staff April now. Third. He's around. He's around. Somebody needs to cut that out. <laughs> so I have to ask, and we're not going to spend much time on it because I know on your podcast this week you guys talked – it got talked to death. The media it's, themselves are just beating this horse, and I don't want to. Do you give a damn whether or not Brandon Marshall and Darrell Rivas fight during training camp? Does it matter on a grand scale to you? I'll try to keep it brief because you want it brief. I want it brief. But I have mixed feelings about the thing. And this is exactly what I said yesterday. But here's the thing. Is you got a 31-year-old cornerback who's got really nothing to prove. He's probably uh, on his way to the Hall of Fame. Brandon Marshall, 32 years old. He could very well be in the Hall of Fame as well when you look at his numbers. You got two guys that are competing at the highest level. They're going 110%. And on the Murphy show the other day, when they were talking about the fact that the Hall of Fame game was canceled, they were saying, I'd have to believe that some veteran players, you know, were actually happy that that game was canceled because sometimes veterans, they don't want to go hard in a preseason game, let alone they definitely don't want to go hard in a practice. You know, sometimes veterans are going 80, 90%, whereas, you know, the roster bubble guys, those guys are going 100%. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you you know, you know have two older veterans that have nothing to prove, that their roster spot's not in jeopardy, they're going at it 110%, iron sharpens iron, I think you have to like that because competition brings out the best in, in all of us. But then it's not just, okay, it was a training camp fight. And, a lot of, and some Jets fans, they blew it over like saying, all right, listen, you know, if you ever played football before, it's only something that you can understand. You know, guys will get into fights with each other mm-hmm. on the field, and then 90 minutes later at dinner, they're eating with one another, yeah. and everything's all cool. There's, I've, I get that. You've played football. I've played football. I've played. Sports. I haven't. <laughs> I've played sports. Well, you've played sports. I play hockey. You hate the guy on the other side for the amount of time you have to spend out there on the floor with him. If you're out there on the field with him and he's not wearing your jersey, you know what? I don't know you. And even if he is wearing your jersey, if it's a practice, a scrimmage type scenario, he's the enemy. 
for that period of time. But then when it's over, at the end of the day, you're all just people. You know, and I think that and athletes are very good about that. But at the same time, like you're saying, you like seeing that fight out of some of the older guys. One of the things I think hurts a lot of players in training camp. You see a lot of veteran injuries in the first two weeks of training camp. I think something that does that is the fact that you get the guys who come through and they're only going half speed who are going up against rookies who are going 110% because they're trying to get a job. Mm-hmm. If you're going, if you're, how did, how's it, how was it explained to me? I'm trying to think of how it was explained to me as a kid playing football. If you're the nail and not the hammer, you stand more of a chance of getting hurt. Yeah, this is the same thing that was taught to me when I was in high school. And Richie Incognito said the same point when he was on the Cowherd show uh, a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but going back. All right. So now I get it. Like, you know, that's your brother. You know, this is someone that, you know, you love. At the end of the day, a lot of football players will look at it like, well, he's going to be on my side. Yeah. You know, once we're playing against an once opposing we're in a real team. game. But for today, he's the guy. He's the, he's my enemy today. Tomorrow, we'll be best friends. That's yeah. why I don't think any of this was a big deal, but I hated the fact that the media just blew it out of proportion. But that's a part of being – I think – and unfortunately, it's part of being in the New York area because you guys have – how many out media outlets do the Bills have? I think it's probably a – Buffalo News, a quarter, WGR, WKBW. It's a quarter of what the Jets have. So you guys will – something like that happens that should just be a small non-story and it just gets ballooned out of proportion. Yeah. And I think a big reason for that as well is just the fact that who Brandon Marshall is. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, earlier in his career, you know, he had, you know, domestic violence incidents. He's you know, a polarizing he was, guy. He's a definitely a polarizing player. Yes. Yeah. So it, it is interesting to see that. And everyone thinks he's going to go off like Mount Vesuvius. But at the end of the day, he's he's a he's a professional. You know, you hear the guy talk, you see the way he conducts himself. He's a pro. So is Revis. This is a non-story. We're going to move on to the state of the quarterback competition in New York. Is it really a quarterback competition? No, not at all. And it's not <laughs> even being marketed as such. There is no competition. I mean, listen, the Fitzpatrick stalemate went on for months. But, you know, early on in those contract negotiations, going back to March, Todd Bowles said, hey, listen, Fitz is the starter. If he comes back, we want him back. We think he'll come back. And he's our starter when he does come back. So just the fact that he signed in July, late July, doesn't mean that, you know, there's a QB competition. There is no competition at all. It's Fitz's job. Most of the guys on the offense are completely fine with that. They're so happy that he's back. And it seems that Chris is happy that he's back based on the shirt that he's wearing. Oh, Jesus. I wore this just for you, dude. So Fitz magic. Then I have to ask. Does considering he missed the whole offseason program, does Fitzpatrick look rusty or is you know has he picked up right where he left off, you know, throwing three picks to the Bills in the fourth quarter? I mean, he seems to be Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's the same guy that he always was. And oh good. You know, you had oh to good. get that little jab in there. But I mean, you know, people here's what bugs me about this, and you guys know I'm not a big Fitz fan, is you know, people are saying, oh, he's a leader. He's a true leader where, you know, they're, when they compare him to Geno Smith. Mm-hmm. But how much of a leader is he came in really out of shape? Did you guys see those photos of I him did. at that golf outing? Oh, that's what I was laughing because I'm like, this is a guy who's going to just walk in. Todd Bowles is talking to him as the number one whenever he signs. 
that's your number one whenever he signs. He looks like Uncle Rico coming off the couch. Like he's going to come in, some guy who looks like he hasn't seen a gym in months. I know. And and if you listen to what Fitzpatrick said, too, when he was getting interviewed by reporters, he said, yeah, for a couple months there, it was like I was like George Costanza. I was sitting on my reclining sofa and I had like a little refrigerator in it. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Seinfeld where. Oh, yeah. Summer. I believe it's Summer of George. Yep. There you go. And that is currently on Crackle. Fitzpatrick. Yeah, and so that's – I guess my question is this – him coming in out of shape because from what I've heard, he hasn't exactly been sharp or lights out. You know, he's he's made good plays. He's made bad plays. Do you expect him to just knock off the rust and come right back and be who he was for the first 10 weeks of the season for you guys well, and is when he, the season starts? Is he going to start the first preseason game? No, I don't, I don't think they'll put him out there. I really don't. What do you think? I think he'll be out there for maybe 10 plays or something like that. I mean, the starters will probably be out there for about 10 or so plays, but that's it. I mean, they're not going to even play a full quarter. But, I mean, listen, you think about it like this. Ryan Fitzpatrick, I guess at this point, he did know that he was going to be the starter week one because the jaw incident had already happened. But, you know, he was coming off a broken leg, and he wasn't for the first couple weeks of training camp or the first couple practices. He wasn't getting the first team reps. So it's not like he was in great shape. And Brandon Marshall will go out and say when Fitzpatrick, when he first got to the Jets, he was terrible. You know, he was throwing a little five yard out straight into the dirt. And, you know, Fitzpatrick will say, well, listen, I was recovering from leg surgery. So that's why. So I don't really see him being much further behind than what he was last year. I just see him being Fitz and we know what he is. Mm -hmm. Now, I got to ask, Geno Smith. By all reports, you know, I follow Gangrene Nation. I follow the Finsider. I follow Pat's Pulpit. I like to read up on what my what the other teams in our division are talking about. Apparently, Geno Smith had himself a really hot start to training camp and then cooled right off as soon as last week hit. Is he coming back down to earth now that Fitz has been – like it's not a pipe – like he, I think he had this pipe dream that maybe he could still outplay Fitzpatrick until he realized that he was going to get slotted in number one either way. Do you think that he cooled off because Fitz came back? And what do you think the odds are that he gets re-signed after this season? Uh, that might very well be true. And I don't know if you guys saw this, but uh, if not, I'll send you the picture. When Fitzpatrick re-signed, that the, the same night that he re-signed, the eve right before training camp was about to begin, a bunch of Jets players were congratulating him. And you could see Fitzpatrick going over. And it looks like he's shaking Chan Gailey's hand. And then you could see Nick Mangold, Brandon Marshall. They're like taking a selfie and they have like a big smile ear to ear. If you look in the corner of that photo, there's someone looking down and he's like looking at his phone and he looks all disheveled. It looks like it's Geno Smith, oh, which is Jesus. interesting. And the day that training camp opened up, Geno Smith sent out a tweet and he doesn't tweet very often. He said something like, you know, horses never stop or something like that. So maybe in his mind, I'm going to show them, I'm going to show the coaching staff they're wrong. And, you know, maybe he came out firing guns blazing and that's why he started off so good. But then he realized that, you know, Fitz was kind of right there with him and the first team reps were still going in Fitz's favor. And maybe he lost a little bit of that fire. It's certainly a, a plausible theory. And then the last question I have on quarterbacks for right now is, has, has quarterback Bryce Petty, made any impact on the quarter, quarterback competition at all. No, I mean, he, was, he no. was a late-round pick. People had him pegged like, oh, he's a second-round pick all day long. I, I would have been dumbfounded if someone took him in the he second round. Read. The fact that Brent Hundley 
when the second round blew my mind. He couldn't read defenses well, is was what Petty's thing. thing. The fact that Bryce Petty came into Jets meetings after getting drafted and told coaches that he didn't know how to identify a Mike, a Mike linebacker from a Will linebacker, that is a problem. And it's right there. I was like, this kid, will, this kid will be Arena League Football Quarterback of the Year in four years. And apparently he learned how to do that by playing Madden. And as far as I, I think Hundley was a fifth-round pick, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, Bryce Petty, he was a fourth-rounder right at the beginning of the fourth round. I think it was like around pick 103, something like that. And the Jets had actually traded up like one spot to get him. Mm-hmm. Just the weirdest trade ever. You move up one spot, they basically swapped the seventh-rounder with whoever was in front of them because the Jets were scared that another team was going to trade in that spot and, dra- and draft Bryce Petty, but mm-hmm. no, he's made absolutely no no impact. You knew that, or the Jets knew that he was a big time project at least, at the very least, two years before he should ever see any time on the field. And when I went to practice, I was not impressed by him at all. He's got low velocity on his throws. Eee, see, that's a problem for any quarterback. You have to have if you don't throw a zip. You know that's you have to, I understand accuracy, but you have to have some zip on your throws because what's going to happen is you can have all the accuracy, accuracy in the world. If you're slow with those at the NFL level, that'll get you killed. Safeties will eat you alive. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the big concerns about Jimmy Garoppolo right now. <laughs> but yeah, Bryce Petty, I mean, I saw him stare. He stared down into double coverage in the red zone the other day and threw the ball and it was picked off. It was awful. See, and that's... And I feel like more and more that's going to be what you get with quarterbacks coming out of college, which is why you see coaches like Rex Ryan who are like, oh, damn it, I need to find my franchise core. I need to find a quarterback who's going to get me through this. And what does he do? He doesn't go out there and trumpet for a first-round draft pick at quarterback. He says, I want this guy. He was a fifth-round or sixth-round pick out of Vatek, but I've seen what he can do, and I think if I pair him with Greg Roman, he'll be okay. And so they go and get Tyrod Taylor. And he's like, I believe in this guy because I don't trust the rookie crop of quarterbacks coming out of college now because no one can read a defense. At least this guy has four years of experience seeing NFL defenses. He might be able to help me. Yep. And apparently Jared Goff is really struggling in Rams camp. The number one overall pick who the Rams traded, you know, they mer- they move the earth and the sun and all that kind of stuff to go and get him, and he's struggling. See, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know about that, that right now. I have not seen Hard Knocks yet. I'll watch it tomorrow, maybe tonight. Okay, so you're ruining it for Chris. But at the end of the day, that's been the knock. And that's why there's a coalition right now forming of GMs. You know, you've got Doug Whaley's a part of it. It was on Pro Football Talk. They were talking about GMs are getting together and saying, listen, there really needs to be a development league. Because quarterbacks coming out of college right now just aren't good enough to start in the NFL anymore. Andrew Luck was probably the last guy to come out, get drafted, and show that he was good enough to play. After him, you know, Skip Bayless is famous for tweeting out that he thinks RG3 is going to have the better career. And Johnny Manziel. Yeah, and Johnny Manziel. And And you see how that gets him. Is it was it you that Kyle was it? Yeah, you that, I tweeted that at oh with Skip Bay about Cardale yeah, about yeah. I I then tw- I then tweeted you guys the Cardale Jones oh, thing. Oh okay okay. But so at the end of the day, college quarterbacks now are being asked to do much much less than is going to be expected of them at an NFL level, and it's hurting the quality of competition and it's hurting the quality of the position. To a point where you see how Paxton Lynch, Paxton Lynch didn't get picked until late into the first round, 
and he's not being considered as a starter. Yeah, and look at the guys over him. Mark Sanchez Mark and Sanchez. this other guy whose last name is Seaman, Trevor Seaman. Trevor, Trevor Simeon. Whatever it is, he both two guys who have been no, nobodies in the not, not nobodies, but marginal at best in the NFL. And then you've got a first-round draft pick who can't beat them out for a job because they don't understand how the NFL works. They can't read defenses and they can't handle the speed. I don't know, but I just think that that, that pick was a confusing one for me, and I think that Bryce Petty's eventually going to wash out of the NFL. I got to move on. The next thing I want to ask you about, again, it impacts Bills fans, the health of Muhammad Wilkerson. Now, he's been reactivated off the pup list. When is he actually going to return to game action? What do you think? This is interesting, and Rich Samini sent out a tweet about this, and he's a longtime Jets beat reporter. Apparently, in a recent Todd Bowles press conference, Bowles had said that we expect Muhammad Wilkerson to play in the first preseason game, which is tomorrow night. I mean, this guy was just activated off the pup list. Wow. And apparently, there was a lot of beat reporters in the room that were rolling their eyes. This guy's going to play, really? And Samini said it, the Jets would be smart to err on the side of caution. There's no need to trot him out there in the first preseason game. So, um, Wilkerson keeps promising that he will be ready by week one, and I fully believe that. Will we see him at all this preseason? I, I kind of think that we will not see him there. Well, so here's the question, I guess. Do you trust that he can take the next, what, what do we have, five weeks left? Can he get into game shape in five weeks? Or do they put him on pup list? You know, save a roster spot for him in hopes that he can get his conditioning up to snuff. Or do you think that he truly will meet that week one deadline? I mean, I, I, there's no way you put him on pup list. I mean, it's a leg injury. It's not like it wasn't like it was like a devastating knee injury or an Achilles tear or a Liz Frank injury. Uh, I think he had the same leg injury that Eric Wood had. And I think that yeah. Eric Wood, his rookie year, had that injury late in the season. It was and the did he miss any time? Break. Oh, and I'll tell you, I saw Mo Wilkerson break his. Even though I hated, even though I was rooting for the Bills to beat the Jets, I'll tell you. And I think part of it is because I know you. I think it's just because I know you, and you're a Jets fan, and just knowing what it means to him personally, going into a contract year to break your leg like that in the final game of the season in a game that you lose, it was gut wrenching. When I saw him just rolling around grabbing his leg and having to get carted off. It's just like, oh, here's a guy who's done everything the way you're supposed to do it, right? He got drafted in, you know, the top-ish end of the first round. 30th he, overall. He's, really? I yeah, swore he overall. was like 14. Are you kidding me? No. Good Lord. See, so here's a guy who did what he was supposed to do. He went out and they said, hey, you're not good enough to be like any of these guys. Marcel Darius and, you know, J.J. Watt and all these guys. You're not good enough to be with them. But... You know, we're gonna we're gonna draft you here, and we're gonna take you now that it's in our best. You know, now it's a convenience pick. We have you here. We're gonna take you, and he just outplayed. I swear to God, I I'll never say that I'd trade Darius for Mo Wilkerson, but I can tell you a lot of DNs or defensive tackles or whoever else on a defensive line I would take Mo Wilkerson over. He's he and he was always a team guy. He always put the team first. He did everything he was supposed to do going into his con you know going into his contract year, and then he breaks his leg, 
And then there's that acrimonious kind of back and forth between him and the team because he's hurt. It's just like, Jesus Christ, it was just bad to know what was going to come for the guy. But I was happy to see him get an extension because even though I hate the fact that he's going to be playing against us, I don't, you know what I mean? I, I, you never want to root for a team. You, you don't take any solace from a victory. You know, there's nothing to take away from a victory over a team that's outgunned by you. I like the fact that we have a good D-line. You have a good D-line. Bill's Jets games, I think for the next like four or five years, are going to be must-watch TV. Am I right or am I wrong? I think you're right, and I hope you're right. You've got and two- I think as long as Rex Ryan is the coach of the Bills, you know, oh, that yeah. whole card is going to continue to be brought up. Even if he wasn't, even if he wasn't the coach of the Buffalo Bills tomorrow, I still think that the way that they've built our teams are so similar. Defensive line. Defensive line versus offensive line, you're going to get to see it. You know, it's going to be one defense trying to smother the other offense, and that's the, that's the game right there. Whose defense can do a better job of shutting down the other offense? And that's what it comes down to. How has the defensive line been looking without Mo Wilkerson out there? Do they still I look mean, like they're tearing uh, it up? They've looked very good. And Leonard Williams, you know, I keep saying this, you know, you think back, Mohamed Wilkerson, by all accounts, had a very good rookie year. Sheldon Richardson also had a very good rookie year. He won defensive rookie of the year over your guys, Kiko Alonso, at least at the time. Now oh, good. Miami Dolphin. Great. But if you look at the jump between those guys' rookie years and their sophomore years, night and day. You know, Muhammad Wilkerson, you know, went to like, what it was, seven, eight sacks the yeah. next year when he had three the first. You know, Sheldon Richardson had eight and a half his second year, mm-hmm. and he was just, he was just a, a, a terror, terrorizing quarterbacks. Leonard Williams was really good last year, and the jump that he's going to make in this year, I think it's going to be very stark. And, you know, Sheldon Richardson has looked good. That comes as no surprise. He slimmed down. You know, I mean, not only was he overweight last year, but he was <coughs> overweight playing outside linebacker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and then they got these two other guys who I'm not I, – I don't know that that was the best use of resources. The Jets had very limited cap space. And you go out and you sign Jarvis Jenkins and Steve McClendon. I get it. You lost snacks. But you throw your money back into the D-line. I mean, the Jets got so much money invested in the D-line, well, but not other players. Well, and players. that's the but, problem is you're going to run into what we ran into this, this past season where somebody is eventually going to become a casualty of that. You know, Mario Williams, he was a great player when he wanted to be, when he was motivated, when he was ready to go. But when he wasn't, and when he didn't perform up to that lofty contract he was given, it puts you in a bind because now you're like, okay, I have so much money just between Kyle, between Darius, between Mario, between Jerry Hughes. I have to give out contracts. And I can't build a team around this D-line if people aren't going to start. You know, For us, it became one guy wasn't pulling his weight and he was the obvious guy out. But for you guys, it might just become a true numbers game on defense. I mean, you guys have good cornerbacks. You've got some decent inside linebackers, I think. But I think you can't keep everybody on your roster forever. So somebody's going to get sacrificed, and the more money you guys try pumping into that D-line, the rest of your defense is going to suffer. Yeah, I'm right with you, Drew. I mean, there's no doubt the D-line is going to be good. I mean, I bring up those guys because I think they're going to be good contributors, but was it the best use of resources? I think not. But the D-line is going to be great. Now, speaking of Leonard Williams, you're talking about how he contributed as a rookie. My next question is, what so far in training camp have you gotten, have you Jets fans gotten out of your rookies? 
You know, I've heard a lot of good stuff about Darren Lee, even though I thought he was a water bug and I hated him. I Keith did not. Ellison. I did not. I called him Keith Ellison 2.0, and I did not want him anywhere near my football team. So the fact that you guys drafted him, I thought was laughable. But by all accounts, he's making some plays. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was so funny that, uh, you know. When you, the draft was going on, you guys had played that. You guys began your one podcast with the Daniel Jeremiah clip where he, ha, he had uh, the Bills selecting Darren Lee. And Drew starts off the podcast with an F-bomb, you know, us drafting a small linebacker. <laughs> and then I heard you guys also cite him on your podcast a couple weeks ago. So I'm like, All right, listen, is this guy a credible source or is he not? And, and then Chris had also mentioned something about him on the Move the Sticks podcast. And Drew's like, oh, I don't want to hear it. That guy's a hack. But – um. Anyway, um, Darren Lee, he's been up and down. Apparently, he got better once the pads have been on. You know, apparently, he got kind of trucked by someone. I can't remember who it was one day. And then the next day, he was coming back, and he was popping people. He is pretty physical, despite the fact that he is a little small. But, uh, yeah, he's been up and down, and he's probably not going to start. But as far as other rookies go, uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you three names. Jordan Jenkins, the outside linebacker mm-hmm. from – uh, University of Georgia. He's an SEC guy, so mm-hmm. you probably know a lot about him. Oh, I know all throat. about Jordan Jenkins. What are your thoughts about him before I say anything? <sighs> My thoughts on Jordan Jenkins is that as an outside linebacker, he's got good get-off. Like, when you look for a guy to come around that edge, what I like about him is just how can you – like, we were talking earlier about Eric Stryker. What do I like about an outside linebacker who's small? Now, Jenkins is not small, but – Eric Stryker's a tiny guy, but what I like about him is his get-off. He times his, he times his rush as well. He seems like he's, he's getting in the right place at the right time. I feel like Jenkins might just be one of those players at the NFL level. Yeah, and you know Gary has compared him to a Jarrett Johnson, who Jarrett Johnson used to be with Rex Ryan when Rex mm-hmm. Ryan was a defensive coordinator oh, of the yeah. Baltimore Ravens. You know, a guy who's really good at setting the edge. He's not going to kill you with yep. you know, constant pressure on the quarterback, but he's going to play 110% got a high motor and and listen this guy's going to be a starter as a rookie and when you compare him to how slow calvin pace was the past couple years calvin pace was killing you guys yeah man so slow it just made the defense so slow and bowls complained about the speed of the defense pretty much all year so he seems like he can be an upgrade despite the fact that he's a rookie but he's not going to blow the doors off you in terms of pass rush moves Another guy that's getting a lot of uh, buzz is Justin Burris, uh, fourth-round cornerback who, honestly, I did not know much about this guy pre-draft process. If you go to draftbreakdown.com, I know you're I familiar did. with the site, you can't find a single video about the guy. No, not you one. can't. No, you can't. But he, he's a big corner. You know, Some people say he looks like a small linebacker. You know, he's six foot. He's almost 220 pounds. And you know, he's been pretty good. You know, He's gotten beat by Marshall every now and then, but – from what I heard from the people that have been there, he's right there with Marshall. And Marshall beats a lot of people. He's very arguably a top five receiver in the NFL. So he's been holding his own. He's made a couple plays. Um, and I'll give you another name is Lachlan Edwards, the punter, the Australian punter. Oh, you guys got I, a good punter? Well, we drafted him in the seventh round. The only punter, I believe, that was drafted. If there was another one. Lachlan was the first one taken in the draft. I was really hoping that guy was going to suck. <laughs> well, we also picked up um, the two-time Ray Guy winner. Uh, what the heck is his name? Tom Hackett. He was the punter out of Utah. 
Mm-hmm. But his style apparently wasn't very well suited for the NFL. He doesn't have a lot of hang time on his punts. No. And he does the rugby style where he holds mm-hmm. it, runs a little bit, and then he kicks it. Yeah, you can't do that. Yeah, you can't do that in the NFL. Well, they the thing is, if you run the first f- day of training camp. Well, the thing is, if you run forward, and I've always said that the rugby punters at the collegiate level, you're never going to go anywhere. The reason being is because if you run forward with that ball. You don't know that someone can't beat that offensive line enough to get back there and just take you down before you have a chance to kick that thing off. Yep. You see it happen where punters have guys in their face all the time. So how do you know that you're going to have time to catch that ball and then take a running start and then kick it sideways? Like you can't, it's, it's not going to happen. It's just not a fluid motion. And because of that, I feel like at the NFL level, it just won't work. Now, see, I've got two other rookies I want to ask you about. Since you're talking about rookies, Jalen Marshall, I've heard a lot of buzz about this kid. Yeah, um, I I was known for criticizing him on a <laughs> different Jets podcast that I co-hosted a couple weeks back, and I looked at his skill set coming out, and who did he remind me of? He reminded me of Jeremy Curley, a small guy, not particularly fast. Not particularly athletic, but, you know, he's a good, heady player. He does all the right things. So to me, I wasn't all that enamored with him. I didn't understand it. You know, some Jets fans were saying, we want to talk about Ohio State receivers that are on the Jets now. Jalen Marshall is more talented than Devin Smith. Now, you can hate Devin Smith all you want, but to say that Jalen Marshall is more talented, I think not. But anyway, um, so Jalen Marshall, he's definitely stood out. He's been making plays, no doubt about it. But if Jalen Marshall is going to carve a niche for himself in this Jets team, he's got to do it as a punt returner. And the fact of the matter is, and the Jets practices that I went to, I saw him drop several punts. And my buddy who went to practice yesterday said he saw him drop another punt yesterday. And my thing is this. We had Jeremy Curley returning punts for us last year. Jeremy Curley did nothing returning punts. Basically his whole career except for – Week one, 2012 season against the Buffalo Bills where he took one to don't, the house. Don't that, remind he a, me. <laughs> he did nothing. But one I thing he really could do is he could fair catch the ball. You weren't worried that he was going to fumble the punt. Because if you fumble a punt, you're giving the team, the opposing team, the ball in the red zone. You're giving them the ball in field goal range already. It's a catastrophic turn of events. So mm-hmm. I want my punt returner to at least be able to catch the ball. Sure hands. You running. want a guy with sure hands. Exactly. And Marshall has not shown that. So in my eyes, he needs to worry about doing that and getting good at that before he's ever going to think about playing some wide receiver. So uh, I, my expectations or my impressions of him have improved since camp, camp has begun, but I'm still not enamored with him for that reason. And then I've got one last rookie that I'm obligated to ask about. Christian Hackenberg. <laughs> now, Hackenberg's camp has sounded very much up and down. Everything I've read, he looks great one day, looks terrible the next, comes back, gives you a little tease, and then he craps all over you the next day. He struggled with accuracy. I mean, is there any truth to this, or is that just the New York media? Because that's the only place I can find any news about what's going on with the New York Jets. I mean, isn't that the MO of, of Christian Hackenberg's entire career? You know, he'll give you a little tease, he'll show a flash here or there, but then it's more bad than good. And, you know, here's how Hackenberg is stand out. Sam Monson of Pro Football Focus, you know, he's been – him and the PFF guys have been, like, touring pretty much every training camp. 
And when he went to Jets camp, he tweeted out one thing that was particularly interesting. He said, regardless of whether or not it's his rep, Christian Hackenberg is in every single hospital listening to the play. You know, so he's been known as this studious type of player. I get that. I think that he could be a good guy in the classroom. I don't question that at all. But can you be accurate with the football? In the NFL where windows are so tight, you need to be so precise with your passes. He's not that. And when I went to two different training camp practices, it's more of the same. Passes constantly zipping into the ground, etc. I was going to say, one of the reports I read said that he threw in the same practice, he threw three passes into the dirt in front of receivers. Like on curl routes, drag routes, he was hitting the ground before he was hitting the receiver. How does that happen? And I mean... And And is it poor mechanics, poor footwork? I mean, I did like a film room session. It's on our YouTube page. And you'll notice that he switches up his footwork every now and then. You know, what foot is he leaning with first? What foot is he taking his first step back with? Never really seemed, you know, too comfortable with anything. And supposedly Jordan Palmer, Carson Palmer's younger brother, worked with him all offseason. He also worked with Blake Bortles. And he was supposedly supposed to fix him. But, you know, I mean... I don't, I'm not really sold on Blake Bortles, despite the fact of whatever, how many touchdown passes he threw last year. So I'll only take Blake Bortles in fantasy, in fantasy football. I'm only taking Blake Bortles if he's there in the seventh round. I, I, I hear you on that. I, I wouldn't want to touch him. And the only reason I would touch him is because he's got amazing receivers. Yep. So, so you think that there's real truth to the fact that Hackenberg just does not look the part of an NFL quarterback right now? Just, I mean, he looks the part in terms of his size, his stature. He's pretty good looking. He's a he's a nice kid. He's going to put work into the playbook. But nothing that truly matters. <laughs> None of that. You got to be able to throw the football with accuracy, and it's just really inconsistent. He might hit a nice bomb every now and then. There's no doubt that he's got a pretty strong arm. But if you got a pretty strong arm and you're sailing passes over your receivers' heads, what good is that? Well, no good. Clearly. Now, we're going to wrap this whole exercise up with two questions. One, what do you think is the deepest or strongest position group on the New York Jets roster right now at training camp? It's a really easy question to answer. It's got to be the defensive line. They're yeah. loaded. I knew you were going to say D-line. I mean, it's, it's obvious, Drew. I mean, you don't need any Jets insider to But tell that's you been that. the backbone of your team for the last decade. And that's what we're good at too, this training game. Well, and that's the thing. That's what, and, and I alluded to it last week when we were on with Christian from uh, the Patriots podcast. I said, it's your fault that our division is the way it is. You look at what Miami did. Miami went out and tried to buy the best defensive line money could buy. The Jets have built, a, you know, for the last 10 years, they've had a great defensive line. The Bills have built themselves a good defensive line. All the we've built Brady that. And his we've ACL. built that because we have Tom Brady in our division. We never. I don't think that teams would have gone to the lengths that our teams have gone to to build up our D lions and our front sevens if it wasn't for Tom Brady. You, you bring up an extra point, Drew, and and just think about it. Like, not too many teams have been able to stop Brady in the New no. England Patriots. But if you think of who has stopped him on the biggest of stages, great it was D-lines. those two Giants Super Bowl teams. Yep. And those Giants Super Bowl teams, it's not like they had great secondaries. They certainly didn't. But they no. had very good D-lines that could get to the quarterback. So you have to wonder in your mind, did some of these other AFC East teams think about it in that approach? Let's get to Brady. Let's make him uncomfortable. Let's move him off his spot. 
And so then the last question I have for you is, what do you think is the weakest or just shallowest position of talent on the entire Jets roster right now? I know what it is. It's podcasting. Ben Blessington, Kyle Fahey. Bring it <laughs> oh, shots fired. to listen to this. No, I love those kids. That's pretty funny. But uh, it's got to be offensive line. So it's the tale of two tapes right here. You know, you got the strong defensive line. You know, everyone says football is won in the trenches. Well, the Jets can certainly win in the trenches when they're on defense. But when they're on offense, ugh. You know, I mean, Breno Giacomini is just horrible. If he's not the worst starting right tackle in the entire league, he's got to be right there in the conversation. Brian Winters has been pretty bad his entire career. Um, Nick Mangold, he's on the downswing. He's not the elite player that he used to be. Carpenter's good. And, and here's the thing. Ryan Clady, if he does stay healthy, I think he's going to be an upgrade over to Brickishaw Ferguson. But if he goes down, then who's, who's going to be his replacement? Ben Ijalana, that is just scary. That's scary to think that you can have Ben Ijalana and Breno Giacomini protecting both edges of the New York Jets. That sounds like somebody you went to high school with. Now you, I, Drew, the way you talk you about Nyan, no, 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 but the way you talk about you talk about Giacomini. No, who was it? You talk about you talk about Giacomini like he's a boob. He is. He's an incompetent boob and get. As much and um, what? What was it? Uh, I, I I think Gary actually called into a Jets podcast last night, and you know he said that someone was underselling Breno Giacomini's value. It was it was a funny little joke, <laughs> but anyway, not so funny here. But uh, yeah, Breno, we we constantly go back and forth with him, and the thing with him too is he's not even practicing right now. He's been on the pup, and to me, if the Jets cut him. They can save several million dollars. He was in John Idzik guy to begin with. So for me, he doesn't even have his job locked up. Wait, but who backs him up? Him, and he sucks. Who backs him up? Uh, a guy named Brent Quali. But let me tell you this. I mean, <laughs> Brent Quali. Yeah, who is that? Who, who, can he be I'm much sorry. worse? Can he be much worse is my thing. You know what I – the reason why I ask about Bruno Giacomini is because the quote – in our in your intro for our podcast is actually about Brino Giacomini. Yeah, I was pretty sure that's what you it was about. You were talking him about him not being serviceable at all. I, not, it might be Dallas Thomas. No, it was it was Brino Giacomini because I remember he was fired up about it. I'll have to go back and, and listen to where I got At the those. end of the day, guys, you've had the experience of getting to hear from the horse's mouth what's going on at Jets training camp. This is this is the real deal. It's nice to know that maybe we don't have as much dysfunction as some other teams do. Although, really, it's not dysfunction. It's the media in New York making it a dysfunction. Well, Drew, I'm th- I thank you for clarifying that because Gary wouldn't seem to agree with that point. <sighs> Gary won't agree with anybody. Gary, like I said, the whole verbal bulldozer thing. Gary and I have it in common. We'll just talk people to death about why we think our opinions are right. At the end of the day... We're really pumped that you were willing to come on our show, and I appreciate all the For time the you spent with us tonight. Time, fourth time. I really appreciate Woo. you coming on tonight and just going over all this with us because it gives Bills fans an insight into what's going on on the other side of the fence. 
I appreciate you guys having me because you don't got you guys don't have to have me for four times. So <laughs> apparently, I must be doing something right. And you guys have been extremely gracious. So I thank you for that. Absolutely, you're our you're forever our Jets go to person. <laughs> Why don't you go but ahead and play your podcast? We want to know what is going on with Rich Kotite. We ask Kyle Smith. <laughs> Rich Kotite. <laughs> Kyle, go ahead and plug your guys' podcast and tell them about this new development into live radio you're getting into. <laughs> as long as I'm not getting replaced by Kyle Fahey and Ben Blessington, then I'm good. Okay. But, uh, yeah, so apparently with our, with our free conference call software that we use to host our show, and we have a call-in feature for our show, there's actually a radio feature that I was unaware of and I've recently become aware of. So if people are on a desktop, they also can listen to our show live. So maybe you don't want to call in because you're, you know, you're nervous. You got to think about something that you want to talk about before you call in. Well, you can listen live before you call in. And there's a link that you can access that to. It's always in all the descriptions for our podcast. And I tweet it out from time to time as well. Why don't you, so, why don't you tell sh- people where they can go find it? AFC East Bros podcast. If you type in Miami Dolphins, New York Jets. Buffalo Bills, any of that stuff, Miami Dolphins into iTunes, will be one of the first podcasts that pops up. You can follow me on Twitter at AFC East Bros. My brother's AFC underscore East Bro Gary. All the information for our show is in my Twitter bio, so you can get all that stuff from there. We do a Tuesday live show, 6 p.m. to about 8 p.m. every week. And, you know, sometimes we'll do non-live shows here and there. I did one on Christian Hackenberg, and I plan on doing more things like that. I'd like that one. And I'm sure. Wait, 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 you mean craptacular? It was craptacular. And I'm sure people might be afraid to call into your show knowing that they're fourth in line behind Ben Blessington, Kyle Fahey, and Nick Baby Love. A bunch of 15 year olds and a Patriots fan, guys. It's brutal. He's not just any Patriots fan, he's the number one Patriots fan of all time. Well, Kyle, we're going to get out of here. We're going to say our outro. Now, I'll say this every week. Now that we've now Saturdays. That, now that we've linked up with the Bills Fanatics Network, we are on every Saturday night, Facebook Live. Okay? Around seven o'clock, around seven o'clock. This weekend we're gonna be doing it at halftime during the Bills Colts preseason football game. Chris and I are gonna be on Facebook Live. We're gonna be there to take fans' questions, talk about what we saw during the first and second quarters talk about the first official depth chart, and answer all of our fans' questions. You can find it at BillsFanaticsBF.com. Go to the Facebook group, and you can check it out there, too. Now, Kyle, I don't know if you have anything else to say. Chris, I don't know if you have anything else. I will be tuning in to your Facebook Live, and I'll try to answer, ask some questions, or maybe I'll act goofy like Chris does whenever I do a Facebook Live. Oh, Jesus. You know what? Guys, Chris is the worst at Facebook Live. If he, if you ever see any questions coming from him, don't answer them. They're Kyle. They're you just like give me soft tosses <laughs> to crush out of the park. At the end of the day, guys, we gotta get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That's Kyle Smith. And this has been the Rock Power Report. Whether you're a world class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well being and proper recovery for top notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System, 
If you haven't heard of the EE system yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.